Vince, and thank you for joining us for our 100th episode on the Fort Worth Roots. I don't think there's a bunch of 12-year-olds running around out there that could <laughs> would have the gumption to walk up to the owner of the newspaper and try to change policy. Well, they're not eating mustard and cheese sandwiches either, so <laughs> I want some ham on that bastard, you know? <laughs> you can find the Fort Worth Roots podcast on all your favorite streaming services, Apple Podcasts, Pandora, Spotify, and many, many more. Just look for Fort Worth Roots. You can also find us on social media under the same name, and we do have videos on YouTube associated with these episodes. Just look for Fort Worth Roots. We started doing all of our announcements and more information on our sponsors at the very end of the episode, but real quick, our sponsors that I want to tell you about at the front end of this episode are Roofing Solutions by Darren Houck, offering a 50% discount on roofing tune-ups. More information about that at the end. It's roofingsolutionshauk.com for more info. Woodpost Metalworks. Uh, these folks do light steel fabrication and plasma cutting. And more information on that can be found at woodpostmetalworks.com. And then, of course, Hauk Walker Originals, our solution for customized gift ideas and many, many more awesome custom things. Find their information at halkwalker.com. Again, more information at the end of this episode. Shout out to the incredible people at Pouring Glory and all the folks that participated in our September 10th event that we had yesterday. We had over 200 people in attendance, and it was great. The weather was perfect. We couldn't have asked for a better day to do this. Uh, I don't want to call people out by names because I will forget somebody, and I don't want to do that. But thank you to our bands, Late to the Station, Itchy Richie and the Burning Sensations, The Gray, our comedian, Kate Greathouse. Thank you to the incredible staff out there at Pouring Glory, the vendors, the people at the front that were handing out the goodie bags. You know who you are. There were a lot of people out there making sure that this thing went off without a hitch, and if you miss this one don't feel bad we're gonna do it again we're already talking amongst ourselves on what the next big big thing is but uh the thing that almost brought me to tears is i didn't have to ask for anything yesterday the volunteers and the people that were there supporting me and the show and pouring glory they were treating this event as if it were their own and in many respects it was but i didn't have to ask for anything people were just on top of it so if you were out there attending, or if you were volunteering, or if you're helping, or if you're on the staff out there at Pouring Glory, thank you so much. That was such an incredible moment for uh, us as a podcast and just me personally. So thank you. Our guest today owns nearly a dozen Fort Worth restaurants and venues. He has guested on and helped create multiple national television shows over the last two decades. In 2007, he won his first Iron Chef competition. Recently, during the 2020 shutdown, our guest was an integral part of a panel of business owners that advised the president on a PPP improvement. Tannehill's Tavern and Music Hall is a brand new music venue that's going to open up an entirely different vibe for the Fort Worth music scene. Find information online at tannehills.com or you can go to Facebook and check them out. That's Tannehill's Tavern and Music Hall on Facebook. This was a really big episode for me. We, we, we threw a party for it. It's our 100th episode. It's a huge milestone for any podcaster. And it took a while to get here. So thank you to you guys for your support. Thank you for listening to the show. That is enough out of me. Please give it up for our guest today. Definitely one of the biggest Fort Worth celebrities, Chef Tim Love. Thank you all for being here. Let's start the show. We 
we've been uh, enjoying your restaurants for years. Even the ones I had no idea that you were the owner of, that, that you started, <laughs> Woodshed. I'd, yeah. I'd been eating there for years before I found out that it was one of your restaurants. I'm just not that observant, I guess. But Lonesome Dove being one of my favorite restaurants, that's the go-to. Whenever people are in town, where are you going to take them? You take them to Lonesome <laughs> Dove. The reason I wanted you on the show at first is because musicians I've had on the show have credited you personally as the reason they were able to keep the lights on at home during the 2020 COVID thing. A lot of people handled it very differently. I do know that from the outside looking in, there's a lot of people out there that feel like you you did a lot for the community. I wanted to see if we could explore that and find out what you did sure. to, to kind of manage that situation. Man, what a time it was. I was actually opening Woodshed in Houston when COVID happened. Literally, opening day, everything got shut down. Baseball was canceled. Basketball was canceled on our opening day in Houston. And um, I got together with the team and I said, you know, there's a lot of things you can do when things go bad. But the number one thing you got to do is find out where it's worse for somebody else and concentrate on that and fix that first. And so we immediately switched over to doing lunches for school children in Houston. And then we... Uh, we came back here. I kind of rallied the troops. We gathered everything we could for our employees first, set up packets and things like that to make sure that they could, you know, there's no way I could pay 450 employees, you know, for what was coming. So I needed to figure out a way to get them to the unemployment line correctly. And then for all my managers, which was just under 60 at the time, I wanted to come up with a plan where I could still employ them somehow or another because I didn't want them to lose their benefits because the main thing is right. what's going to happen with everybody's health. So we concentrated on that. And at the same time, we started feeding every food and beverage employee that had lost their jobs. And so we did two meals a day out of this kitchen with my uh, entire management team all chipping in. And that's where we came to work. Here at this office. Here at this office, yeah. yeah. Then I started doing everything I could, exploring like, how do we get to the other side of it? You know, COVID, there's so many statistics and so many false statistics and so many right statistics and so many ways to argue it and so many people on certain sides politically and everything. Right. But the real reality of it is there's a lot of real people out there that were losing their jobs and nobody's really concentrating on that. They're just talking about how what was right and wrong. And that I, it was just the weirdest thing to me. So our focus was trying to take care of our people. And then once we felt like we had a really good control and vibe on that, and I'm a big calculus guy, I kind of did my own calculations based on all the statistics that were in New York and that were in Asia. And I said, you know, it's probably going to be somewhere between four and six weeks before we're back to where we can open it all. And in what time frame was that? This was right when it started. Yeah. So it turns out it was about six weeks, right, to where we could actually open the doors at 25%. But at least at that point, we could employ people which was the most important thing. And now during that time, you know, the PPP came out. And this is where you start looking at people like gig people, like musicians, people who work festivals and all that. Those types of people don't have insurance. They had a steady stream of income, but by shutting things down, not only did it cut off their income, it just cut them off completely. And so with the PPP, the idea behind it was that really the employer became the unemployment line. So the government said, we can't handle all these people coming to unemployment. They said, we're going to be employer's money, and then they can pay the unemployment. That's really what PPP was. The problem with that is the rules said you got to spend it in six weeks. Well, you couldn't employ anybody because nothing was open. Right. So uh, I got asked to be on a panel for the president and flew up with six other industry professionals in food and beverage and sat with the president and his full cabinet really and fought for change in the ppp when i met with uh, president trump and it, i mean it's really quite amazing every, every single person in his cabinet was there the secretary of labor secretary of, of treasury the president the vice president ivanka trump jared trump that's what cool. i said was here we are mr president we appreciate it in the food and beverage industry this ppp people think it's like a it's like you're giving us a gift but we're, we know you're really not but 
you're trying to just take care of the employees and i get that so the thing is we need to extend the six weeks to at least the end of october if not the end of december so as people are allowed to come back to work because these governors are starting to say let's get back to work we got to be able to take that money and spend it for what it's purpose for which is right. on the employees and he said it was just the craziest thing he goes you're not asking for any more money i'm like no i just need to we got to be able to use the money because right now if we don't use it. We got to give it back, yeah. you know. So it's like it's just more accounting for us. And he looked at Minuchin and he goes, "That seems pretty easy. We can do that, right?" And he goes, "If you want to do it, Mr. President, we can do it." And it was like that: six weeks to twenty-six weeks. Wow! Allowed us to bring people back, spend the money it was purpose for, and then me to open up the White Elephant, even though we weren't having a lot of people. Keep musicians playing there and keep musicians playing at Woodshed because we were outside, right? Um, and I pushed a lot for that. And I'm, I mean, we didn't make any money at this time, but at least I was getting people to back to work and you know supporting the people that have always supported us over the years and that's probably kind of what you're hearing from musicians and things like that i'm i'm a big supporter of live and local and young music i've done it forever i mean we have music at all of our spots um there's a lot of stories you can tell about going through covid without a doubt um a lot of different ways you could tell it too and you telling it through the perspective of somebody that uh, was employing a, a good portion of the uh, the people that were able to come back to work because there were a lot of businesses that just would not open their doors no matter what. And you went so far as to travel to Washington and speak to the president. Yeah. So you were obviously doing as much <laughs> as you could. Something I ran into doing my research on you that says you were a drummer for Slap Chops and the Mushroom Groovy. <laughs> you tell me anything about that or is that so far back we need to leave it, it alone? way back, yeah. <laughs> back in the days when people aren't supposed to, there was no cell phones then, which was good. <laughs> Couldn't take videos um, and record you doing it? Yeah, I, I played the drums <laughs> back in the day. Um, it was a lot of fun. Two of my best friends growing up were really great musicians, and one of them was a drummer also. I played the drums, but he was better than me. Uh, I played percussion for that band a little bit and, and played a few gigs. I really ended up do, booking more gigs for them than I did playing <laughs> gigs with them. It was a great funk band, 14-piece band, lots of horns, you know, straight out of uh, Denton, Texas. So right. A lot of UNT participation. Um, back when the tripping daisies were fire you know and uh, it was a lot of fun i love to play the drums my wife hates it when i play the drums because <laughs> i'm not real good at it i i could be a little bit better at it if i practiced you know but i just don't but i love to jump up on the white elephant and sit in on a couple songs from time to time especially if i had too many tequilas <laughs> are you there frequently uh the white elephant mm -hmm. yeah i'm there a lot unbeknownst to most people when they think about me i'm in a one of my restaurants minimum every day but usually five or six i tell my team that's on in operations you know it's all about running the traps if you don't run your traps you're never going to know what's in the trap i like to be in the restaurants a lot now as we've gotten bigger the goal is to not for me not to interrupt operations, but more importantly, be there as a support for the operations in the sense of, I need the operation to run on its own without me right. being there, right? So mm -hmm. me being there is more about uh, being able to find ways to compliment them and find ways to give them great criticism uh, after the visit and continue to make things better, get people better. We do food tastings at all of our restaurants every two weeks where we cook almost everything on the menu and i'm present for those every two weeks as well tasting the food making sure that it's up to the standards that i want and up to the standards that the chef would want as well mm -hmm. it's an intense business unlike what everybody feels the restaurant business um and as you grow it actually seems like it should get a little bit easier it really seems to get a little bit harder i would um, think so logistically i mean you're, you're scattered all over the place right? yeah and you want you know we can't do it without the team coming out of covid we've really been very aggressive so we've been short staff wise uh, but we're growing quickly, and so it's been a big push. Um, it's a lot of credit to my 
chief operating officer. He, he does a really great job. Director of operations all the way down to the general manager. Down to, I mean, everybody's really been putting in a great amount of time knowing that the prize is on the other end, which it's, it, we're starting to feel the fruition of that where people were forced to come back to work. So now we're, and we've, we've kind of changed our attitude. A lot of people in the food and beverage industry got beat up by COVID in the sense of they just don't have the fire that they used to have. So right. when we've been seeking out, you know, just professionals, like I'm, I'm very big into finding young professionals that are coming out of college that, you know, worked hard through college, not only had great grades, but, you know, they, they did work during college and, and just bringing them into the organization and finding a spot for them, even if they've never been in food and beverage. And they're enjoying the, the excitement of food and beverage because everybody does. Uh, and they're not burned out on it. And so it's just been right. this great combo of really and looking at the, and, and really in this day and age, you got to look at things completely differently in order to get get people motivated and move them forward. Yeah, There's been a big social change in, in the way people look at, uh, I guess, work, it seems like. And that's something that you're noticing too. And so y'all are kind of have to reinvent the wheel as far as how to manage new uh, employees. Yeah, new, new you know, we want people who want to work. And if you want to work, I promise you, I got a spot for you. <laughs> <laughs> I really do. It doesn't really matter if you know how to cook or if you've ever served anybody. Or, I mean, the hospitality industry is great for everybody on both sides, the employee side and the guest side. You know, those who work in hospitality just have a bigger respect for humans. Yeah. And I just, I really feel like everybody should serve people at some point because yeah. it, it'll just make you a better person yeah. no matter what. One of my first jobs was busting tables and then eventually I got to help with other stuff, uh, food prep. Sometimes I'd help the hostess seat people and things like that. And then years later, after that was way, way behind me, every once in a while, you'd get somebody at your table that's treating the waiter like shit. You know, you kind of revert back to your days yeah. whenever you were the guy on the other end of it. It immediately becomes offensive. Yes, yes. And yeah. I, I think everybody should. If you're, You should have to have a certification on your driver's license that you spent at least a year serving people if you mm. want to eat at these restaurants so that yeah. you know the etiquette and you know how hard it is to do what they do. <laughs> well, you know, it's all goes back to the same things. If, if it, you got to take a class to, to be able to be qualified to cook food, right? You should have to take a class to be qualified to eat there too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, just, it's got nothing to do with money too. That's what everybody thinks. It's not, sometimes the people with the most money are the biggest jerks. Yeah. Just because they've never had to serve anybody. Right. And I serve people on a daily basis mm -hmm. and um somebody that meets tim love now or sees one of your restaurants they might just assume that you've come from a family with a lot of money but your your childhood your family was uh, pretty poor yeah um i was the youngest of seven kids parents got divorced when i was young my dad was an anesthesiologist uh, a pretty damn good one you know i always say my my dad followed all the rules of divorce if you will uh and he was a great guy but the fact of the matter is he left. There's still seven of us. Still my mom who didn't have a job. She was a nurse way back when. She went back to work, but we lived in this big house in Southridge in Denton, Texas. We, our family put on a great show. My mom was always very proud, and we always made sure that you know we represented well and all that, but we were broke. My sister and I joke about it all the time. I mean, we ate mustard and cheese sandwiches and not, not the grilled cheese kind. Our grilled cheese was a toaster. You had have the cheese ready, and the cheese you came out of the toaster. You slapped the cheese on there real quick with the mustard and let it sit for a little bit. <laughs> and get you a grilled cheese you know but it's funny i those were not like the dog days for me i look back on it going wow but i mean i had to uh one winter it was so cold my mom only ran the heat in in the master bedroom and so we would all go sleep in there at night but during the day we had the fireplace so i had to chop trees down out of the front yard with a hatchet and we just burn the tree and just slowly move the log in one time though it got so cold it was 1980 
two, I think, when it froze here. It was a really bad freeze in Neville and Denton. But, so it was so cold, I couldn't go out and chop down any trees. It was like negative temperatures like it was recently, you know, a couple of years right. ago. And so we had to burn some dining room chairs that year. I remember that. And uh, But again, it wasn't, it's just my mom was so good about it. I guess it's just like, that's what we're going to do. Yeah. Like, okay. You so know. it wasn't necessarily a, a negative time for your family. It just was the... It is what it is. Broke. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> and so, and she would, wouldn't make sure she always kept money just in case, right? She was a just in case kind of person. And I always say that's why I'm such a risk taker because I've been at the bottom and it really wasn't that bad. So, yeah. I'm not afraid to go What's for it. What's the anything. worst that could happen, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I got good family and lots of brothers and sisters that love me. And it was kind of like, again, if you've been in the ditch and you're not really, you didn't get there because you did anything wrong, you just, in the ditch and you got a bunch of people around you in the ditch with you you're kind of like i mean it really isn't that bad we right. still had a lot of fun we still played cards you know so so yeah so when it, you come into where we're at now and that you're right I, I a lot of people think it's like i'm this overnight success you know or whatever that was, that was you know what 40 years in the making which is fine i you know i've learned the you know my friends are my friends and the haters are the haters and so on and so forth right i still make sure i concentrate on taking care of the people i can take care of do the best i can for my community and make really badass food and have great experiences yeah somewhere along the the way there you, you started a paper route and that was uh your first introduction into kind of the business world wasn't it yes uh i had a paper route since i was 11 and it was great actually i loved having my own money and i brought you know fold the papers after school throw them in my thing ride my bike around the neighborhood chunk papers the worst part about the paper business was i had a lot of apartments on my route and apartments don't pay <laughs> i don't know if you know this but they don't and um by the second year in it i started learning that apartments don't pay and, you know you deliver the paper and if you didn't deliver the paper they'd call the paper and you had to get a new paper and go out and give it to them right they didn't get it right but then they paid at the end of the month but then the thing is you own the papers so you got to pay for it no matter what if they don't pay you yeah so one day I went in and talked to the president of Denton Record Chronicle. And, I, and this is at age 11? Yeah, well, it's 12. 12, okay. And uh, I said, listen, this isn't, this isn't working out. I don't understand why we give them the paper when they don't pay for it. Why don't we make them pay for it? I said, you go to the newsstand, you put a quarter in, and then you get the paper. So why is it I give them the paper, and then I got to go collect the quarter? He says, what do you mean? I said, I just think everybody should pay. And if they pay, then I deliver the paper. And if I don't deliver the paper, I'll deliver another paper. I mean... And he kind of looked at me all funny, and he goes, it's not a bad idea. <laughs> and so now, I mean, of course, we're, there is no newspaper anymore, but there was a while there where you prepaid for your newspaper. Um, and I don't know if that happened somewhere else, but just in my community, um, I kind of changed the billing system at 12, yeah. That's pretty wild, isn't it? You think back on that, I don't, I don't think there's a bunch of 12-year-olds running around out there that could <laughs> would have the gumption to walk up to the owner of the newspaper and try to change policy. Well, they're not eating mustard and cheese sandwiches <laughs> here, so <laughs> I want some ham on that bastard, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so were you done eating mustard and sandwiches whenever you got to uh, this job in early 1990s with Boogie and Shaggy and Saute? Oh, yeah. That was, uh, that was a place called Kotze's Grill and Spirits. And was that in uh, Denton? No, that's in Knoxville, Tennessee. Okay. So I went to school at University of Tennessee. Right. And the first job I took in a restaurant was at Kotze's. And uh, I applied to be a bartender, a server, or a host. Just whatever they give you. Well, I, well, I wanted to meet girls. Yeah. And, and so <laughs> I'm at college. Yeah. And I didn't know anybody in this college. I, I chose there because my dad lived in Tennessee. Right. And um, we got from a job making salads at $5 and something cents an hour. Mm-hmm. And I'd never not had a job in my life, so I took that, anticipating that I'd get a different job later. And uh, 
Yeah, Boogie is a short guy, but like this, been working there for a long time. In fact, I went back to Knoxville a couple of years ago, three or four years ago, and it's now called, it's a steakhouse now, but... Boogie's still there? He's still there. <laughs> Damn, Boogie. You can't make that up, man. <laughs> yeah, but you got Boogie over here. Now, remember, I've never been in the restaurant business, and then down on the other end of the line was a guy, his nickname was Shaggy. He looked just like, just like Shaggy do. Mm-hmm. And he was on saute, and we called that the hole because it, you didn't have any windows, and it was hot down there. And then the middle was me, and Boogie would turn around and face the front door. There's a big window, and there's a big grill. So you, you walk in the front door of Kotze's, and there's big, obviously, featured steaks and chops and stuff. Right. And during lunch, there'd be Boogie would run the grill and what we call the window. So the window is... is um, the inside expo or the person that assembles the meal before it goes into the right. window and the pass they call it in France they call it the pass so then somebody on the other side the servers and everything would take it and run to the tables right so but on a lunch shift which my very first shift was a Sunday brunch after a Tennessee football game and so it's busy it was packed <laughs> not that I and they gave me a packet to study so I studied it like what each salad I was working salads and the fryers so we work in these salads and, and I it's, you know, this is 1990s, so the when you ordered an entree, it came with a salad of your choice. Right. Caesar salad, you know, vinaigrette salad, you know, whatever, little house salad. So I got to assemble that and the dressings and all that, and it started getting so busy, and the servers are yelling at me. It's my very first day, <laughs> and the guy's supposed to train me is not there, which is a typical restaurant story. Okay, now I know that being in the industry, but th- that day I'm like, what do you mean there's nobody here to train me? And the general manager goes, you'll be fine. I'll come back here and help you. Well, that's not true because he's on the floor. It's too damn busy. Right. Well, I just started getting smart on it, and I just started making tons of salads and putting them in the window because it really doesn't matter at this point, right? right. Why am I looking at the tickets? It's only one in five salads. I just keep the five salads up. Yeah. So now I'm f- starting to get back in my groove. Like, I'm smart. I said, just pick the salad that you need. Don't burn a ticket anymore. I'll just put them up there. <laughs> so then Boogie asked for a Greek salad. This is where, it all, this is where the wheels came off. I'm like, what's a Greek salad? And he goes, everything that's on the top shelf goes in the Greek salad. All right, cool. So I put all this stuff together and I slide it down to him. He starts screaming at me. Where's the cheese? I'm like, there's no cheese up here. He goes, the feta cheese, the Greek salad. You know, dumbass. I'm like, I don't know what salad is. So I reached down. This is monumental for me. I reached down. This is 19, this is 1990. And I pull this bucket out. So in 1990, feta cheese came in this milky white bucket. Right. Especially in America. A lot of water. And you open up this bucket and it smells like 276 farts inside of this thing. <laughs> it's so awful. And I say to Boogie, hey man, this this cheese is bad, dude. Like, you no, no, it's supposed to smell that way. I'm like, nobody's going to eat this cheese. There's zero chance. Just crumble it, put it on there. All right, man. So I crumble it on there. Then my hands literally just smelled like ass. And uh, so that was the most popular entree salad there was. So I made a bunch of them. And every time I do that, I'd shake my hands off like this. And then I'd try to wipe my hands off to keep going with the rest of the stuff. So at the end of the shift, long story short, the whole, all the fryers behind me are covered as milky white crap there's salads left in the window there's nobody left in the restaurant there's still 10 salads in the window <laughs> there's shit over here and at the end of that shift I, it really hit me it's like i'm a big sports guy i'm very competitive i played soccer my whole life and very competitively and um i was like man this is just like playing a sports just like it's just like a soccer team there's a yeah. leader there's people who do certain things and uh so i fell in love with it and so uh, a year later i was running that kitchen that's awesome and um what I discovered was I worked on my dad's farm all the time in Tennessee and um, I've raised most of the domesticated animals. I've butchered most of them growing up. We had a big one acre garden, so I've grown almost every vegetable that can grow in the States. 
And so I started realizing I knew a lot about the food. I just didn't know what the hell to do with it, mm-hmm. which is the opposite of the way most people come into my industry, right? Yeah. Most people go to culinary school or they, you know, they train under a chef for a long time and then they start to learn about different types of food as they go. And I was the opposite of that. Like I, I could butcher, I could take apart a pig. I really couldn't say I'd butcher it, but I, you know, or I could take apart a, a side of a cow. Get the meat out. Yeah. And, uh, so then this guy, Frank Katsianis, he was a tremendous butcher. He's a, a Greek guy. And he taught me to actually how to butcher red meat. And so I just started getting really involved in, in steak, especially different types of red meat. And then I, after Katsis, I went and worked at um, L&N Seafood, which was a very large seafood chain, kind of like Red Lobster, but a little bit higher quality. And it started... Do they have the biscuits? In Knoxville. <laughs> no, they don't have biscuits. <laughs> I can't remember what bread we have, but... Um, but we brought in tons of fresh fish, and so that's how I learned to butcher fish. It was at Ellen and Seafood, and then I went and worked at um, Kiva Grill in Knoxville, which was a very advanced southwestern style restaurant for Knoxville. Oddly enough, a lot of restaurants started in Knoxville, like hmm. um, things that became big chains. And um, when we opened up Kiva Grill, at the same time um, Bobby Flay opened up Mesa Grill, same year. And so Southwestern food was really getting a big push at that point. And I'd, you know, been around salsas and all this other stuff, this style of food my whole life. And so I really kind of took over the reign of that and eventually became the chef of that restaurant. Uh, and then after that, I started working at a hotel and I ended up being the corporate chef of three hotels for this guy named Steve Raymond. Still in Tennessee. In Tennessee. And then I when I, gra- I graduated from college uh, and then kind of quit everything and moved to Breckenridge to become a snowboarder for a couple <laughs> years. <laughs> well, before you went to snowboarding, were you, were you majoring in business or what were you doing? Yeah, I have a double degree in finance and marketing. Okay, okay. So that was that was it for Tennessee. Well, yeah, I, and I was on the rowing team at Tennessee. I, I was on the crew team, and um, which I loved. My college years, I was extremely busy. I mean, I, I would uh, I'd wake up early. We had practice at five thirty a.m. And I would schedule all my classes on Tuesdays and Thursdays so that I could actually work, uh, you know, 50, 60 hours without a problem. Um, especially when I started becoming, you know, when I became the chef of the restaurant, I was responsible for the restaurant. So I'd go to school from 8 a.m. to like 5 p.m. and then go to the restaurant. And then the days that I was off, I was there all day long, 12, 14 hours a day. And then I, of course, would go out and get drunk like an idiot. But that's <laughs> that's aside the point. That's the sanity point, yeah. June 9th uh, marked the 22-year anniversary for Lonesome Dove. So that'd be 2000. It's whenever you started with that. So something awesome happened in between 2000 and 2007. And what kind of, what led up to you appearing on Iron Chef and defeating the Japanese Iron Chef? Um, How did you get involved with all that? (laughs) Uh, You know, Lonesome Dove opened up to a lot of great fanfare. Mm-hmm. Frankly, we won just about every award we could win. We're the highest rated restaurant in the city. We got named one of the top 50 restaurants in the world. I don't really brag about that stuff very often, but we have a lot of accolades. And, we, and um, because really it's accredited to everybody, right? So right. Um, your team. That's right. And uh, now this time, and when I was in Lonesome Dove, the first five years at Lonesome Dove was there open to close every day for five years. And my wife actually was working at Del Frisco's when we opened because we didn't have any money. She eventually joined the team like a year like a year later I mean she would come work all the time but she had to work at Del Frisco's and then we started having kids and so then she had to stay home <laughs> so it was this thing and then we decided to open up a restaurant in New York so we opened up uh, Lonesome Dove in New York 
and we've been getting a ton of press uh, you know from food and wine best new chefs and all this other stuff and then I got asked to do Iron Chef uh, I guess that would be 06 it aired in 07 but we did it in 06 you already yeah. had your restaurant in New York up and just started actually okay. actually I did the show three weeks after we opened damn which was rough yeah but, uh, <laughs> but it was a hell of a lot of fun that's also the year I started doing well, once I won Iron Chef, I started doing all these food and wine festivals all over the country and the world, for that matter, and working with great chefs, learned so much from them, and um, you know, give back to them. They've given back to me, and it's been a really great run, quite frankly. And now it's good to see like the festivals are kicking back up again, and right, uh, yeah. that was a big deal when all that just kind of shut down. But it was great. The Iron Chef experience is is unlike any. I've ever done. I've done a million cooking shows and a million competitions and judged a ton of them. And right, uh, but that one is like the real one. You know, it's, there's no hokiness to it. There's no like, you know, we're gonna, all of a sudden it's going to start raining on you, or you know, you got to cook over a match, or you know, all the other crap I've done before in my career. But uh, Iron Chef is all about you and your team cooking the best food you can cook using one solo ingredient, and uh, I think that's really the real representation of a chef. Uh, because the chef is more than just a great cook. It's a great organizer. It's a great leader. Um, all those things come into play at Iron Chef. Right. Um, I'm always interested to, to see stuff like uh, Anthony Bourdain or any of the other big celebrity chefs and the uh, the crossover between, you know, the artistry of uh, preparing the food and making a successful restaurant, but also the, the celebrity status of it. I just, I don't know where that might have started, but it's it's very interesting to see this occur you know well i mean if you're thinking about it jacques pepin and uh julia child were really the people that set the tone for that and james beard mm-hmm. um those people should be accredited with that kind of happening you know wolfgang puck selling seven trillion pans on home shopping <laughs> network and and you know those types of doing the oscars and and making that being a part you know i think food became part of our culture really around the 90s um, where Food Network is accredited with a lot of that, right? Saying we're going to have a channel dedicated to food. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just like anything else, right? If you like, if you like to you know, play soccer, and you go watch Messier play, you're like, shit, this is really cool. And then you, right. start, you start watching people who Messier plays, right? And then that <laughs> that's how it works. And yeah. uh, the same thing happened with food, and you know, then people just like start identifying with the different personalities and, and liking some and not liking some, which actually causes even more opportunity for fun in the food world. I mean, uh, I've been fortunate in that sense. I don't really like the, the title of celebrity. Doesn't really, and it's good and bad. I mean, I, I didn't get in this business to become famous. I got in this business to do great hospitality and create great restaurants and have a lot of fun. And now I just told our management team now that we're no longer a, a food and beverage company. We're, we're a lifestyle experience company. I mean, we've got a right. hotel We've got, uh, we're opening up an unbelievable music hall. We've got private clubs. We've got uh, food festivals. We've got, you know, music festivals that we do. We're no longer a restaurant company. Right, and yeah. so we got to think differently and we got to be, we got to hire differently, like I talked about before. But, you know, it's it's funny. You could, all these different things you could look back to in my career and say every part of it's what makes it great, even the failures for sure, yeah. which we've had enough of. Don't get me wrong. That was something I really wanted to talk to you about because uh, when I went digging, I was listening to podcasts you'd been on in the past and articles that 
uh, they were quoting you and stuff like that. So I'm not sure where I got this, but <laughs> somewhere you, you, you were asked the question, you know, what's the secret to success? And, and you just flat out told them that there's no real secret. I don't think there's a secret to anything. It's just the the putting in the work that, that gets you to where you want to go. Yeah. And anybody's capable of it. And I agree with you totally. I think a lot of people would agree with that. But what are some major struggles that you've had to overcome that, that got in the way of where you're at today? Because this, this wasn't granted. There's no. pitfalls that you could have hit. <laughs> yeah, to get here. certainly. I like to say, and I say this to our team all the time, we, we, are, we are a company that disrupts things. So when you're a disruptor, that means you're going to face some adversaries and not disruptor because to disrupt. It's more about, I always like to think of things, how do we do things different, better, faster, cleaner, more beneficial than whoever's doing it? And it doesn't really matter what that business is. And, and you'll find a lot of success, you know, what people would describe as success, which most people describe it as financial success, right? By looking at life that way all the time. And it's to a fault, probably for me, I constantly look at things of you know why why don't we do that right i mean we i dabbled in the clothing business and now we're going to open up a clothing boutique in my new tavern <laughs> and my wife's like why why are we doing that <laughs> i'm like i don't know if people are paying 300 dollars for a pair of jeans why aren't we selling them that's what i want to know yeah we constantly push different buttons and create new things and some of them hit and some of them don't and uh, some of them teach us how to hit it better next time uh I look a lot at, at not only life, but my business a lot like baseball. Although I'm not this gigantic baseball fan, but the reality of it is baseball is a game of failures. It's all it is. And, yeah. and those who are able to overcome those failures and stay positive are the ones that succeed in whatever it is they're doing. So you think about a, a, a sport where generally 25% of the time you're successful, right? Most people batting average about 250. Right. When people bat 300, they're like, shit, he's good. <laughs> I mean, what other business in the world where you're 30% successful that people say, damn, you're killing it? Anything in the government, I think. Yeah, start there. <laughs> but uh, so if you look at it like that, then every once in a while, when you're batting 700, you can absorb the 190s. And, but you got to bat the 190s in order to get the 700s. Sure. And, Again, I'm just not, you know, I like to gamble because of that reason. I'm just not, I'm not afraid. Yeah. And I could sit side by side playing blackjack with somebody with the same amount of money. So it's, it's not about the money. One person's willing to risk $5 on the bet and I'm willing to risk 25 Right. Part of it's confidence, right? Part of it's thought process and what I think the next card's going to be because I'm very mathematical but also part of it's that I'm not afraid to bet 25 and they only want to bet five. Right. Now, 20% of the time, I'm going to end up at zero and they're going to have 100. But the other 80%, I'd bet on me that I'm going to end up with 1,000 <laughs> and they're going to have their still the same 100. Much better odds than baseball. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we we just hit the 38-minute mark, so I, would, I want to respect your time. And uh, if you don't mind, I just wanted to ask you about Tannehill Tavern. I noticed that your music lineup... Uh, starts one October, and and so is that is that planned to be the I, and I understand how this stuff works. I mean, it, it's got to be fluid, right? You don't well, never know. Nah, this one we have to know. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's uh it's probably the biggest stress I have right now. Sure. Um, you know, setting a date is always great, and we're really good at it. 
but you know we're not depending on us we're depending on other teams um mainly the contractor right um and our wonderful city of fort worth who loves to throw wrenches um but we're going to hit it one way or the other that's just yeah. what it is I, if i just had the conversation it's time to start doing double shifts so um it's a spectacular project i think i really truly believe it's it's a, i mean without a doubt it's a game changer for my company but the best part about it is i think it's going to be this really uh well much needed niche for fort worth so we've we've got a lot of clubs that are 250 300 500 and we got billy bobs which is 5000 and we got dickies right which is 12000 right and the natural progression of music is two 300 person clubs 800 to 1000 person club 35 4500 person club and then 12,000 12,000 yeah. <laughs> and uh i mean an 8000 person club is kind of pointless right so we need this 1000 person club for a lot of reasons um we need it to grow our local music as they get better and better they need to be able to bring more and more people that will then again talk about the city uh and then on uh, the same token we need it for all these amazing bands that a lot of people still want to hear and they demand really good sound and good looks and want to and demand a bigger higher higher ticket price for less people um you know bands like foreigner perfect example i mean they sold out uh tarrant county convention center but we're going to have them at a thousand at a higher ticket price so it just allows people to be a little bit more comfortable yeah um and and allows them to play in some really great sound um and then you know we at tan hills our goal because I've been in the music business for so long uh, doing hospitality, the one thing that I always see that the bands always want, they just want, they, it's amazing how much of a difference it makes you give them some good food. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. Because most of the time <laughs> these play the clubs at 800 people, you know, they bring in, you know, some cheeseburgers or something and it's, they're kind of cold and uh, it's just not thoughtful. And we're building, we're building a green room at Tannehill's that's, built for a 5,000 person club Damn. Okay. and our 1,000 person club so it's a room bigger than this with a full bar and an attendant it's got showers it's got laundry service for you everything that you need so that when you stop and play at Tannehill's as you're cruising around playing all these clubs you know on sometimes in a van you know much less a tour bus but like a van right uh, you're going to show up to this little oasis and uh, we're hopefully going to gonna hook you right we want you to play for us right. and then when you start playing ten thousand person clubs and you come to fort worth you're gonna give us a date because you like playing for us you know right. or you're gonna play dickies and then come over to tan hills and give us an after show for 30 minutes which you know that a lot of that's why i built the club i want to i want to capture every version of the business that makes it really cool and then to have it in the stockyards is just really you know good to my heart i, I, I want to do something special for the stockyards it's been good to me for 22 years and so it's time for me to start giving back and that's why i'm building all these restaurants there is is i want to i want a spot that isn't just um you know steak and chicken fried steak and so that's why we built paloma suerte and that's why we're building Caterinas, which is our super high-end dark italian spot that's only gonna have 40 seats and white tablecloths and nice and then tan hills tavern would be this kind of super approachable you know we do new orleans style grilled oysters right in the middle of the dining room and um in the private club upstairs but it's like there's a spot for everybody at tan hills and it's very welcoming um and it's gigantic which yeah. i'm <laughs> just to say the least but it's gonna be huge i've seen yeah. some of the pictures you've shot and shared yeah. with you on your uh, either instagram or facebook but it yeah. looks like it's gonna be massive yeah yeah it is <laughs> <laughs> so 
that's why we got to get it built. I mean, we've got a lot of stuff booked, uh, which is, you know, seems to be the hardest problem, but really the hardest one, just getting the train started. Yeah. Well, it'll it'll get there, and uh, you're the right guy for the job to get it done on time. So uh, we'll <laughs> we'll see. Uh, I've got two listener questions. Do we got time for that? Sure. Um, Andrew Deming's a friend of mine from Abilene, Texas, and I reached out to him. I told him who, who I was going to have on the the show today, and and uh, two questions. He got. Let's see. Let's pick the best one. Uh, what's your What's your go to meal at the house? About every third Sunday, we do fried chicken Sunday. Mm-hmm which I love and I invite my neighbors over and <laughs> make some unbelievable fried chicken and a bunch of cold salads and, and hang by the pool. I really love that. Um, I also love, uh, you know, it's just like something that makes me relax. I like to do um, cacio e pepe with some grilled New York strips and a bunch of salad. I'm big on salad, so we have a big garden. So I, I, I like to cook out of the garden and um so any kind of greens and some fresh tomatoes or a little feta on top. Lots of yeah, it's actually fresh feta <laughs> with that funky ass smell. I'm telling you, I walked out in the dining room to see who was going to eat it. I couldn't believe it. I was literally in disbelief. And they ate it. Oh yeah, and then that, and so did 40 other people that day. <laughs> Stupidest shit I've ever seen. <laughs> uh, so not a fan. Not a fan of feta. No, I'd actually like feta now, but like back then. <laughs> Back then, it doesn't come in a milky bucket anymore. Right. Although that's not true, you can get it in a milky if bucket you want from it, yeah. you know certain grocery stores that still carry that kind of stuff. But <laughs> I don't want to say anything about them. But uh, yeah, it, it, you know, uh, it's hard to you know every time I do something like this and people ask me certain questions, I start thinking back. Right. Yeah, it's kind of funny how many stories come into my head of like the things that I've gone through and done and yeah. and um, failed at and. You know, it's funny because it's like it's like gambling for me. I don't ever talk about the failures ever because what what's it going to do? You just learn from them. Sure. And, uh, and you focus a new positive energy on that failure. And that's, I feel like, really what's carried me my whole career. I just, you got to turn around. You know, if you lose on one deal, you got to go find another deal to make up for it. You got to create something to make that happen. I mean, it's funny, like, people used to tell me about my publicist all the time, who's great, and we've been buddies ever since. I met him in New York. And, uh, we met on a really crazy way, but when I had trouble in New York and we closed, uh, I got back to Fort Worth and um, he says, I, I said to him, I said, man, what, what, you know, what are you going to do? What are you, and I, I hadn't known him very long. And uh, he says to me, he goes, look, man, I, I don't, I don't create this stuff. <laughs> you create the stuff. And I said, Okay, he goes, you create something good, I'll make sure everybody else knows about it. I'm like, that's fair enough, right? It's not the, it's funny people think they're going to hire a PR firm and then they're going to be, like, they like see me, I didn't want to be famous. I want to make cool shit. Yeah. And make a bunch of money and have other people below me make a bunch of money and everybody that works for me make, you know, like this whole thing. But people think by hiring a PR firm that they're going to, that's going to, that's how you do it. I'm like, no, PR firm is a megaphone. Yeah. But if you don't have anything to talk about, nobody <laughs> talks about it. Right. right? So you got to have, you got to create your own um, you got to create your own fun you got to you got to you know I always say I walk with a circle of circle of fun around me either get in or out it's it's just the way I move and so if you want to get in and be part of the circle of fun let's go but if you don't that's great 
just get out of the way because we're coming. Right. <laughs> one way or the other, it's happening. That's right. Yeah. All right. Last one. Grant Peterson, uh, a friend of the show, a friend of mine, is currently over in sea, uh, overseas in Iraq. Uh, also a huge fan of Lonesome Dove. Wants to know. Let's see, you gave me two, Grant. Let's go with uh, what gets you out of bed in the morning to do what you do? Uh, aside from yoga, I do yoga every day. Nice. Um, what gets me out of bed, honestly, is really everybody I'm associated with. Um, it's my wife, my kids, my team. I mean, if I don't get out and charge forward, then how can I expect them to do it? So I'm, I'm, I just feel like the most important thing for me is, is to show up early, stay late, work hard, show them the reason for the mission, right? The reason why we're doing this and the reason why it's going to be fun, the reason why it's going to be great for them. And uh, that's true for, for everybody in my family, all my brothers and sisters. I mean, everything. Like, that's that's what gets me out of bed is I want to make sure that they know that we're all in it together. You know, if we do it all together, then we're all going to get there together. And that's a lot of fun. I mean, I'm, I've got a party for my mom next week. She's got 47 disciples, I call them, right? So there's <laughs> seven kids. Okay. They got spouses, and they got we all got kids. And then some of those have kids now, 47 of us. And so... Um, that's that's what it's all about. Get all forty seven of those people together and throw back some good wine, eat some good food, play some sand volleyball, watch my mom smile. It's perfect. There you go. Well, Tim, there's about fifty other yeah. questions I want to ask you, but we we already went over the time, so I want to I want to get you out of here. Is there any possibility that we could get you on uh, the Fort Worth Roots podcast again in the future? Maybe sure uh, before Tannehill opens, maybe we could squeeze in a recording. Yeah, we should do something. You know, once we get close. Yeah, you know, and uh, and Fort Worth Roots. This this is our hundredth episode. I'm saving this. It's going to be delayed a little bit, so uh, I'll check with Brittany before we release it. And if she's got any notes, I can put it in the intro or the outro whenever we go to release it. Okay. Uh, so I will double check with her just so we can pack this episode full of more information. Um, but we are looking for a venue for the hundredth episode release party. So um, we'll we'll just have to see where that goes. But as people are listening to it right now, the hundredth episode release party has already happened so oh, yeah. hope, i hope it was I hope good, it was good yeah. <laughs> yeah. all right tim well thank you Appreciate again it. fort worth roots listeners thank y'all for being here and we'll see you next week a huge thank you and a big shout out to our new friend chef tim love man this guy has accomplished a lot and there's no way we could have gotten to it all in an hour two hours or even three so hopefully we can get back in there and uh, or even invite the chef to our studio and uh, get some more uh, get some more great stories out of him get some more information on Tannehill and uh, anything else that he's creating for our community these are the kind of people that we want to connect with, not just because they've accomplished a lot and because they've got some great stories, but it also keeps us uh, informed. we, we got a finger on the pulse. So, uh, yeah, that's good stuff. And I'm telling you, this is the kind of person that I could have just sat there and chopped it up with for probably six hours. Ah, man, the, uh, the event yesterday was an absolute success. And I'm not saying that as a pat on my back. It's more of an indictment on the uh, people that helped me put this thing together. Uh, literally did not have to do anything yesterday. The volunteers, the staff out there at Pouring Glory, Scott and his wife, uh, the owners of PG that were nice enough to throw this thing for us, let us uh, throw it there at their uh, restaurant. Um, 
yeah, man, I, I'm telling you, I didn't have to do anything. Everybody treated this as if it was their event. And so everything, as something would come up, was just taken care of. And I wasn't even aware of a problem <laughs> until it was already solved. So everybody that came out and showed your support, thank you very much. And even you, the, if you just attended the, the thing, um, thank you. Uh, we can't throw events if nobody shows up. But you did. You showed up. You showed out. And I've already got messages in my inbox talking about let's do it again. So let's do that. We'll find a new excuse. Of course, we can't have another 100th episode release party. But maybe we'll start calling them like the Fort Worth uh, something something. I don't know. You can help me out. Hit me up at media at Fort Worth Roots and let me know what you think. What went right? What went wrong? What could have been done better? Uh, what you really enjoyed about this thing? I know that you enjoyed our bands. We had some incredible bands out there and our incredible uh, Kate Greathouse. So thank you for being out there. I'll stop talking about that right now, but I'm, I need to contact each and every one of you personally and thank you for uh, for being out there and showing support. Um, I'm, I'm just, that, that was yesterday and I'm still uh, rolling with gratitude and disbelief that it went so well. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Chef Tim Love, he's got the uh, Tannehill's Tavern and Music Hall opening up soon. Uh, I need to check to make sure that these dates are still uh, on the up and up. I'm tracking right now. I think the first one is going to be October 7th. And you can find all of the information and get tickets at tannahills.com. That's T-A-N-N-A-H-I-L-L-S.com. Check that out. Also on Facebook, if that's easier for you, it's Tannehill's Tavern and Music Hall. There will also be uh, links in the show notes. And, of course, we'll share some stuff uh, for our friend Chef Tim Love on the Fort Worth Roots Facebook page. What else we got? Our sponsors, Roofing Solutions by Darren Houck. You can go to roofingsolutionshauk.com, also in the show notes. They're offering a 50% off on their roof tune-up. And I told them I didn't want to be talking numbers for them, but that comes out to $250. It's a 50% savings off of the typical $500 uh, amount that it costs for them to go up there, inspect your roof, seal off pipes and vents and things like that. And this is something that you just absolutely have to get done. If you're local and you live here in the Fort Worth area, you know we've gotten beaten to death by rain recently. A friend of mine called me in a kind of a half panic asking, hey man, I know you have a roofer that sponsors your show. I'm going to need him out here. He had water coming in through his ceiling and probably, I wasn't on the roof, I don't know, but this is what happens whenever you don't do these roofing tune-ups. That caulking that goes around your vents and your pipes that stick out of your roof, the sun damages that. It cracks and now you've got water intrusion spots. So anyway, if he had had a roofing tune-up, he could have kind of avoided this and, you know, uh, $250 versus the thousands of dollars you're going to have to uh, throw down for a major leak that ruined uh, the drywall and the, the ceiling in your house uh, you know you take your pick but need to get up there need to get eyes on it you need to have a trained professional uh, to do these things for you God, you and me we get up on a roof and take a look we're not going to know what we're looking at but these guys have decades of experience so and you know if you've been listening to the show for a while I do not just pick random sponsors we picked uh, roofing solutions by darren haug because they have a sterling reputation with our community and i'm always sharing the awards that they keep receiving on our facebook page and talking about that but it's just it, it's a sensitive subject these roofers there's so many of them i think there's four thousand roofers registered registered in dfw and so how are you going to pick somebody that's uh, worth spending money on 
I do know you hear horror stories all the time about uh, contractors that swoop in, trick people, do the stuff, and then leave. And then when there's a problem, there's no way to get a hold of them. That's why you want somebody local. And that's why you want somebody that's got a great reputation with the community. And those are the kind of sponsors that we're looking for. Woodpost Metalworks is a plasma cutting and light steel fabrication company. Um, they do signs for businesses and things like that, but they also do custom artwork uh, for fences, gates, um, things inside your home. They've got a website that you can go to and see some of the stuff that they've made. One thing I always talk about is their, their wood pits. They've got these badass custom metal uh, wood pits check them out uh, i'm i butcher it when i try to describe it but it's really cool and you can go to how uh, excuse me woodpostmetalworks.com to see everything they're working on there and you can get 10 percent off by using code uh, podcast 817 at checkout if you order anything directly off their website uh Hulk walker originals they are the ones that made up the tumblers that we brought out uh to the 100th episode release party and these things were dope, man. Everybody wanted one. And I am going to order a ton more from Hulk Walker Originals. Not just because they're awesome. And not just because these people are my sponsors. But because everybody really, really liked them. And I liked them. But it's confirmation bias whenever everybody else is swooning over these. So pretty cool stuff. And if you've got a business, these are the people you want to talk to about customizing anything. Uh, pens and uh, cups and anything they, they can do that they've got the laser engraver and they do some incredible work uh, check them out halkwalker.com that's it i don't have anything else to tell you right now uh, as far as upcoming events just to tell you that i am so overwhelmed and uh, pleased by the result we had from this last event it was months and months and months of planning. Uh, represents a lot of hard work and a lot of money that went into that. Um, so it was great to see that we had over 200 people show up for this uh, event. If nobody had shown up, I don't know that I could be doing this recording right now. I'd be in therapy or rehab or something. I don't know. <laughs> but it, it went great. And man, I'm telling you, the weather was so perfect. It was, uh, it was a little warm. I think we hit 89 degrees, but... Um, the wind was almost zero. There was just enough of a breeze to keep everybody cool, I think. Uh, no rain, which, you know, previous two weeks we we turned our streets into rivers. So there was a possibility that there might have been rain, but we, we got a good day. Our 100th episode. This is a big deal for any podcaster. It represents a lot of time and a lot of work, and uh, I could not do what I'm doing. Uh, I would not have the influence inside our city I would not have the uh, analytic data to show how much we've grown over the past two years if it wasn't for you listening to this week after week after week. And I appreciate you so much. Hope to see you at the next one. I know we do have River Oaks Spring Fest Car Show coming up, and that is going to be excellent. That's in April, uh, allegedly. I don't have the date yet, but I know that it's going to be around that time frame. And uh, last year was incredible. And this next one is going to be even better. And you know we'll be there. And I hope you're going to be there too. Awesome. Okay, I've rambled enough. Thank you. Thank you to our sponsors. Thank you to everybody that came out for yesterday's 100th episode release party at Pouring Glory. And thank you for listening to this episode. And thank you to Chef Tim Love and his entire staff for making sure that we got this interview taken care of. 
looking forward to doing more with that man and uh, hearing some more of his stories. Thank you, and I'll see y'all next week. Peace.